inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you enjoy this podcast about horses, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can find me on Google Play, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. And I'd like to give a special shout out this week to a few of our listeners who took the time to leave me a really great review after they listened. And a special thanks to E. Buck, Brad MX144, and Nick World. Uh, you guys had some really nice things to say. I appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And it's going to help me grow this podcast into something even bigger and better. So thank you for that. I'd also like to thank Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast and keeping it free to our listeners. Be sure to check out my favorite riding jeans at smoothstride.com. Since the last time we, we recorded, uh, around here at the ranch, things are going along pretty good with my horses. Uh, unfortunately, I got a kind of disappointing diagnosis on my number one horse, Dooley, recently. Uh, we've been doing a lot of joint work on him. And, you know, he's 18-year-old horse that's uh, been a performance horse all his life. So he's got some arthritis and um, issues we're dealing with there. But... We've been able to isolate his uh, condition down to one uh, one situation in his right knee that we really can't fix. So I'm afraid that means Dooley's probably going to have to go into an early retirement. We're going to still keep him busy and keep him fit. And, uh, you know, I can sit on him and ride him a little bit. I just can't really do anything performance-wise on him anymore. So he's going to be taking a lesser role, but the good news is my young horse Pepper is coming along well. He's just a two-year-old, and he's um, I've just started working with him again. He was started uh, earlier this year up at Colorado State University, had about, oh, 30, 60 days of riding on him, and... Um, so he had a had a nice long rest after that, and I've just started working him again, and he's doing great. He's been a blast to work with. He's going to be a super fun horse to ride and train. He's very, very smart, very fast learning. Um, he's still bucking the saddle a little bit, but I think he just kind of does that more for fun than anything. And um, I was able to get on him and ride him a little bit at the walk and trot, and I was thrilled to discover he has a very smooth trot, so that's kind of nice. Um, so I'm real happy about him, and um, the only other update I have right now is we're getting ready to pack our bags and head to Ireland. Um, my husband Rich and I are going, plus eight friends, and we're going on a riding tour of Ireland, and we're super excited about that. So next month when we record, I'll give you an update on how that went. So the main topic for today's podcast is solving problem behavior with replacement training. And that sounds maybe a little dry and scientific, but it's actually really important training techniques for horses and 
I uh, hope to explain to you sort of the difference between replacement training and punishment um, to extinguish undesirable behavior. So stay tuned for that. But before we get started, it's time for Stride by Stride with Desiree from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Well, Des, you and I are both riding instructors, and um, it it's, uh, sometimes gives you a different point of view. And I've been working most of my career with the Certified Horsemanship Association, and it's a nonprofit organization that promotes safety in horsemanship. Uh, it promotes safety and education in horsemanship and certifies riding instructors. And one thing that we always talk about in CHA is that an instructor should never enter the arena to teach a lesson without being dressed, prepared to get on a horse. In other words, it is inappropriate for an instructor to walk into an arena to teach a lesson in flip-flops and shorts um, because she may well have to handle horses and because you and I are both riding instructors and, and teaching people uh, doing uh, sort of uh, more advanced things, we end up getting on, on horses all the time. And so I can't really enter an arena without being prepared to ride a horse. Mm-hmm. And I never know whether it's going to be an English horse or a Western horse because I teach all disciplines all the time and mm-hmm. um, what kind of saddle they're going to have. Um, and then also... I may not be on the horse, and so I, I one reason I became enamored of riding jeans um, is and smooth stride in particular is because I want to have when I'm on the ground in the middle of the arena, I want to be comfortable. I want to have a casual look. I might be moving poles or doing stuff like that where I'd rather have jeans on, but I've got to be able to crawl up on a horse at any minute without running and changing pants or putting half chaps on. Um, so. I love that you you designed um, the jeans to to not only have a great look, casual look for jeans, but to be really functional once you crawl up on that horse. Yep, yep. When you're mounting, you don't want to have um, you know you know you want to have proper derriere coverage, and when you're working around the barn, but uh, yeah, they they are specifically designed higher in the back for all sorts of bending work that we have to do around horses, everything we do is leaning over and taking care, you know, of, of, of them. But um but it's it's not just the uh it's not just the high the good coverage in the back that I love about the pants. I love that it's cut lower in the front so when you do put that foot up to get on a big horse, just put it in the stirrup or you um, are bending over to pick up that ground pole or you're, um, you know, riding that horse, bending at the waist to go over a jump or what have you. So um, it is the whole waistband of the pant is actually a pretty intricate design, it appears to me. It's got uh, the waistband and hip area, the design features you put in there are pretty amazing. And... Um, one of the things I love is the lining of the waistband, um, and I, I don't really know how it works. I just know it's super comfortable because not only the cut of being high in front and a little bit lower in the—I mean, sorry, high in the back and a little bit lower in the front—but also the lining of the waistband. Can you 
tell me a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Well, our waistband is contoured. Most waistbands are just one long strip that gets lopped off, and ours is a little bit different. Um, it's specially made just to follow the curves of a woman's body. Um, and the microsuede that is lining, that's used to line the waistband is what we use for the extended knee pad and the full seats, and it's very expensive. It's wash and dryable microsuede. It's made out of recycled plastic bottles, very eco-friendly. And, uh, wow. but we, uh, Eric found, uh, saw some of the, uh, remnants from sewing on the floor. And that's, you know, money on the floor. And he was looking at the pattern maker when they were making the samples. And he said, is, can, is there any way we could use these scraps? And they both looked at each other and they thought, well, why don't we line the waistband with it? And so that's how the lining of the waistband came to be. And when he brought home the sample and I was, and I put it on, I couldn't believe it. It was so soft. And you know, the whole thing about these jeans are seamless comfort. So when you're in the tack for hours, you don't come back and you have one of those marks on your skin or itch from a seam that's irritating. And so, yeah, I'm so glad you like that because, um, it was just part of the evolution of the new design and, and, uh, very, very, very nice. Let's get into our main topic for today, solving problem behavior with replacement training. Before I talk about what replacement training is and how you're going to do that, let's talk about what problem behavior is. And a part of me hates to use that term because we we think it's a problem, but the horse doesn't. So so it's undesirable behavior is really what it is. So when we say that my horse has a problem behavior, behavior is behavior and it's neither good or bad. It is just behavior. It is what it is. And so to say it's a problem is really just means we're inconvenienced by that behavior. It's not a problem behavior for the horse. He thinks it's perfectly fine behavior. So really what we're talking about is behavior that is undesirable to us as a horse owner. And um, so I just like to make that distinction. So if your horse has an undesirable behavior, you know, pick one. It could be biting, bucking, running off, you know, striking, um, going too fast, going too slow, whatever, something you don't like. Um there's one common ap approach would be to try to punish that behavior and say, no, don't do that. Every time you do that, I'm going to make you really uncomfortable. I'm going to, you know, pull a bit or jerk the lead rope or bump the spur or whatever. Um, or you can go with replacement training, which is simply replacing one behavior with another or replacing one thought with another. Um, so replacement training Although it's sometimes tricky to think of how you can do it, it's usually easier than, than applying punishment. But most importantly, it's far more effective than applying punishment to the horse. Horses are just animals because they are prey animals, because they're highly, highly sensitive animals, and because they're animals that are prone to a lot of fear-based behavior, um, they don't do well with punishment. They're also animals that think very simplistically. 
And they don't think much in the past. They don't think much in the future. They just sort of think right here and right now. Um, They tend to think only one thought at a time. And so if my horse has a thought of doing something that I think is undesirable, and I just simply replace that thought with a different horse so that every time he thinks that, I make him think about this, then problem solved. So it is far more superior to extinguish undesirable behavior by replacing that behavior with a different behavior than it is to extinguish an undesirable behavior through punishment, if that makes sense. So um, that's what replacement training is. And I want to talk about how to do it here just a minute. And I'll give you a few scenarios for, for when and how you might do this. But first, let me mention the importance of having good timing, because in all matters of training horses, um, there's, there's two critical factors, timing and pressure. And so the timing part of that equation is that in order for a horse to make an association between one thing or an, and another, the timing is critical. And so he is only capable of making that association, um, let's say, between his behavior and your reaction to his behavior or between your cue and his response, he's only able to make that association um, if it happens in about the first second. So let's say it's a behavior I'm trying to get rid of. Um, If the horse displays the behavior, I need to apply the correction, whatever that correction is going to be, in less than a second in order for that horse to associate the undesirable behavior he made with the correction I made. So horses learn by making associations from one thing to another. And in order for them to make that association, the two things have to be happen very close together. And so most of you have heard at some point or another that you have a three second window of opportunity during which to train a horse, uh, either correction or release of pressure or an application of pressure. Um, And while that's true, while it's true that if you go longer than three seconds, it's impossible for the horse to make that association. The important part of that equation for you to understand is that the sooner in the three seconds that it occurs, the more likely, the faster the horse learns and the more likely the horse is to make an association. So the optimal time frame between the horse's action and uh, the release of pressure or the or the application of pressure is really about a half a second. Um, that's an intimidating time frame to most people, so I just kind of keep it at under a second. So um, if, in other words, let's say my horse bit me and my response was going to be to spank him um, for that, then if he bites, I need to apply the pressure within in less than a second for him to associate that spanking with his biting. If it goes, uh, the closer it gets to three seconds, the less likely the horse is to make an association. So even with replacement training, um, replacement training is not punishment, but it still has to come within that second of the problem behavior in order for it really to replace one thought with another or one behavior with another. 
So um, I just thought of uh, three real common scenarios that um, would be a really good scenarios for employing replacement training. So again, with replacement training, my horse is doing something that I've deemed undesirable. It, it's inconveniencing me or it's something I don't like. And that's the behavior I wish to, to train out of him. And so instead of punishing him every time he does that undesirable thing, I am going to do something sort of totally opposite with him every time he does that. So the first scenario I thought of just happens to a lot of people right when they first get on their horse. And that's the horse that walks off every time you go to mount. So you go to put your foot in the stirrup and mount and he just starts walking off while you're mounting. Um, that's a real pain in the neck and it's a, it's a very poorly mannered horse. Um, and it's one, by the way, you've trained into the horse. Um, so, but that, that can be a real problem for some horses. It's been going on so long that you have a difficult time stopping it. So one of my favorite exercises for a horse that walks off when mounting is a perfect example of replacement training. And what we're going to do is we're going to take that horse, we're going to saddle him and bridle him as normal, but I'm going to put a halter on either over or under the bridle, and I'm going to attach a lunge line to it. And then I'm going to go about my mounting procedure as normal, but I'm going to mount in slow motion. And the moment the horse steps off on his own volition, I'm going to step back and start lunging that horse really hard and fast in a circle. And I'm going to lunge him about 10 or 20 times around until he's huffing and puffing really hard. And then I'm going to stop him and I'm going to start all over again and approach him to mount. And so the reason why this is replacement training is simply because through this process, I've replaced one thought with another thought in the horse. And so when he voluntarily walks off, I start lunging him. And so what I'm trying to do is create an association between his taking one step and his having to work really hard in a circle. So pretty soon, every time he starts to take one step, he immediately starts thinking about running hard in a circle. And so he doesn't take that first step. And so that's an example of how using one behavior to replace another behavior works better than trying to punish that horse out of that behavior. So other than lunging him, my alternative might be to pull back on the reins and back the horse up and uh, scold him for walking off. So in this way, I just created the association by replacing one thought with another and problem solved. So another scenario, really common one that you might use replacement training is if you have a horse that has developed some aggressive behaviors at feed time. And, and by this, I mean, you know, sometimes when horses are in large facilities and it's feed time and the horses are only getting fed twice a day. So they're really hungry by the time the next meal comes and they're getting really anxious and they're watching all the horses before them get fed. Um, so sometimes those horses learn to display aggressive behaviors. They're stomping or rearing or putting their ears back and barring their teeth. And eventually that horse comes to believe that his aggressive antics um, or his, his aggressive gestures 
has caused you to feed him. So the problem being that every time you feed that horse that's acting aggressively, you're reinforcing the behavior. Um, and so at some point to that horse, he really comes to believe that his aggressive behaviors are causing you to feed him. So an example of how we would use replacement training to fix that, this is a really simple technique. So I'll just take my training flag and as I approach the horse to feed him, I'll just shake the flag at him to back him up. So every time he's acting aggressive, I'm just gonna shake the flag at him and back him up a few steps. As soon as he backs up a few steps, he's gonna put his ears forward and look at me to see what's gonna happen next. And as soon as he puts his ears forward and looks at me, I feed him. So within a few days now, every time I approach that horse with the feed cart, he will back up and put his ears up because I've replaced the aggressive gestures with a more pleasing one or a more desirable one. And so it was just that simple. One more scenario I could tell you about in terms of how well replacement training works with horses versus punishment. Um, and this is an example with my very own horse, Dooley. Um, he, Dooley in his day, was a very uh, forward horse and he was quite the speed demon. He was a sprinter. He loved to run and he would work very quiet and very slowly at the lope until the first time I asked him for speed and then he was all about speed and he didn't want to slow back down again. So that was something that that's really common and very forward horses that like speed. Um, and so I developed this problem with him. He was actually really well trained at this point, a finished horse, but because we you know, in reining, you you tend to run the horse down before you stop him hard. And so what would happen was every time I would come down an interior line of the arena, he would think I was going to run him down and stop him. And so he would just take off running uh, without a cue from me. And that's a real big problem. You know, he, he should not be building speed unless I asked him to. So this thing kind of turned into a problem before I realized it was a problem. And next thing I know, every time I take this horse off the rail at a canter, he just basically starts running away with me in anticipation of a stop. And so what I did, actually, I was at a clinic and um, I can't remember the clinician I was working with at the time, it was a long time ago, but he suggested this and it worked really well. So what I did was I turned him down an interior line of the arena at the lope with the reins totally loose. And as soon as he started taking off, I turned around and went the other way. So every time he would take off and start running, I would just abruptly turn him in an about face, 180 degree hard turn and start going the opposite direction. And it took about three times of doing that before, as soon as he would start to take off in the very first stride, he would lift himself back up and slow back down because he was anticipating doing a 180 degree turn. And so within two, three, I don't know, at the most four times I did it, um, slamming him hard into a 180 degree turn at the first moment he took off, 
that was all it took. And we never had that problem again because he waited for me to tell him from then on. So replacement training is a far effective means uh, of training a horse out of many undesirable behaviors. I'm not saying it's the answer to everything because there are some behaviors that um, are, are so dangerous and so aggressive that um, it's difficult to deal with in any other way except punishment. Biting is an example of that. But um, for most things and certainly for most riding problems or most um, common problems with manners and, and um mildly undesirable behaviors, just figuring out a way to replace that behavior with a different, more desirable behavior, or with a behavior that is the opposite of the undesirable behavior, um, will that'll happen really fast with the horse as long as your timing is good. And now it's time for What the Hey Q&A. This is the favored segment of our listeners, and it's where we take a number of questions that have been submitted from listeners, and I'm going to do my best to answer them. So, Megan, why don't you read us the first question? Okay. Our first question comes from Mike, and he asks, how do I know what bit is right for my horses, as I have three of them, a three-quarter draft, a thoroughbred, and an appendix quarter horse? Mike, that's a very good question that you pose, uh, um, but I'm afraid not one I can really answer without asking you about mm, 20 or 30 more questions. You've got three very different horses, and just size alone, they're probably going to take different bits. So that, that three-quarter draft horse is probably going to be in a five-and-a-half-inch bit, something like that, whereas your uh, thoroughbred is going to be in a five-inch, probably the quarter horse too. But um, So before I could begin to explore the question of what, what bit is going to work best for your horses, I would need to know things like the age and breed and training level of the horse, the discipline that you ride, the experience level of the horse, the experience level of the rider, and any issues or problems that you might be trying to resolve. And so there's a whole litany of questions that we would have to go through to explore the best bit options. And then at the end of that process, what we would be doing is making an educated guess and then we would try that bit. And ultimately, your horse would get to decide. Either your horse does better in that bit and the, the problem um, issues that you were trying to resolve go away, or your horse does, stays the same or he is worse in that bit. So ultimately, the horse gets to decide. So here's the good news for you, Mike. If you will go to my website, juliegoodnight.com, um, and type in... Uh, this URL, juliegoodnight.com slash bits, B-I-T-S. That will take you to a page that shows you all, all of the favorite bits that I use. Um, there are quite a few of them because different types of horses, different scenarios require different bits. So I have all the different bits I like to recommend and the types of horses or the scenarios under which I would recommend those bits that individual bit. Um, but at the top of that page, you'll see a link to the bidding assistant, the Myler 
bidding assistant. And if you click that link, it'll take you to a questionnaire. You can answer the questions and Dale Myler will actually come back at you with a bit recommendation um, based on his decades and decades and decades of advising people on bits. Um, so that's my best advice to you, Mike. Good luck with that little project. And Megan, how about another question? Sure. The next question is from Beverly, and she says that she's going to be traveling in September, and she's wondering how often should uh, she stop her horse or stop for her horse? Okay, well, oh, what? You ready? Okay. Well, Beverly, you didn't uh, didn't give me a lot of information to go on there, so you didn't say how far you were traveling, um, how long, how many miles, how many hours, how many days. Um, you also didn't say uh, where, so the climate could matter. Um, in September, most times of year, uh, most places that time of year, things are starting to cool off a little bit. But in the south or the southwest. You might still have some pretty hot weather in that time of year. So my first concern would be about the um, heat level and in the middle of the day. Keep in mind that a horse trailer is going to get really hot with horses in it. Um, just the body heat of the horses alone warms that horse compartment up quite a bit. The heat that's coming off the asphalt would contribute to that as well. And then the heat that's um, just in the environment, so the actual temperature and humidity outside. So if it's really, really hot, I would want to try to limit the amount of time I was traveling during the heat of the day. I might consider... Um, driving with my horse more at night uh, when it's cooler. Um, as far as how long you want to drive in a trailer with a horse without giving him a break, it, a lot of that depends on the horse, his experience level, his level of training, his temperament, how much he can tolerate. Um, also, what's really important to know is what you're going to do on the other end of this trip. If you're expecting your horse to be fresh and ready to work at the other end of the trip, I wouldn't travel more than, um, oh, I, well, what I would want is for my horse to have a period of rest before he needed to work. So I would want to leave early enough, a couple of days early, so that he had at least one full day of rest on the other end before I required him to work. Um, if I'm not going to require him to work at the end of the trip, then... I might have a greater concern about just getting to my destination as quickly as possible. The longer we spend on the road with that horse, the more things that could go wrong. So if if it's not a matter of the horse having to perform at its highest level at the other end of the trip, or if it's a horse that is going to be problematic getting in and out of the trailer, is going to be uh, very nervous and maybe not eating and drinking well during the travel. Um, I want to get that horse to the destination ASAP, so I might really drive straight through with that horse. Now, we're always going to stop and let our horses rest as we drive with them, even if you don't unload them from the trailer. So what I always recommend to people is every single time you have to stop either for fuel or food or for uh, the restroom, you should stop and let your horse stand there in the trailer 
um, for 20 or 30 minutes um, to rest, offer him water. Um, hopefully, he's got hay in front of him for the whole trip. So, um, yeah, so I would, I would definitely let him take a break. You know, if you need a break because you need to use the restroom or get something to drink or eat, your horse probably needs a break, too. As far as actually offloading the horse, I want to make sure that it is a very safe place to offload. As far as actually offloading the horse to rest him while I'm traveling, um, there have to be some really good conditions for that to happen. I'd want to make sure I had a really good, safe place to offload. I don't like to load or unload my horses on asphalt. Um, I would want there to be, you know, it to be a comfortable place, a shady place, whatever, some grass where it's a worthwhile rest for him. And um, I'd obviously want to make sure there was not a lot of traffic or um, hazards in the area before I would even consider offloading a horse. I'd want that horse to be a really solid citizen in terms of loading and unloading and standing around in strange places. It's not worth the risk of unloading if things could happen outside the trailer. So um, all of that has to be taken into consideration. And I would say just kind of a general ballpark. If if you have all the time in the world and nothing really matters, you can plan this trip as best you can. I probably wouldn't travel more than six or eight hours in a day with a horse, giving him, you know, a, a, let's say a half hour break every two to three hours. Um, and then offloading him into a comfortable stall or corral at night to rest and then going another six, eight hours um, the next day. So good luck to you, Beverly, in your travels and um, plan a little extra time. Well, you probably need to plan a lot of extra time when you're traveling with a horse. How about another question, Megan? Our next question comes from Linda, and she says, I'm about to turn 59, and I want to start a diet and exercise regime to become a more fit, healthy, and better rider. Julie is so fit and healthy looking. I was wondering what diet and exercise does Julie do? Linda, first of all, let me say congratulations on your decision to lose weight and get in better shape. I applaud you for that, and I'm going to hopefully give you some some good uh, food for thought here. Thank you also for your kind compliments. I do work really hard at being fit, and it's important to me, and I, I just turned 59 myself, so we're the same age, and I started my fitness program, oh, probably 10, 12 years ago. And I was kind of at the point where you are now. And so I know exactly where you're coming from. I just, I had gotten to a point where I had gained weight and I, I was not in great shape and I was fed up with myself and the way I looked. And so I made a commitment that I was going to start working out more. And I started with simply walking down the road and, you know, we live out in the country. And so I started walking one mile. And I remember it really well because I, back then I thought that was a really big deal that I started walking a mile every day. I was really proud of myself. Um, now today, fast forward a decade or more, we walk about five miles every morning as that's the main part of my fitness regime is uh, to walk. I have a couple of really good friends that like to walk with me as well. Anybody we can get to go goes with us and we walk hard uphill. Uh, really, it's hiking um, every morning from 7 a.m. to about 8.30 or 9. 
And um, so that's the biggest part of my fitness regime. I also, uh, in the winter, I do a lot of video workouts. But at the end of the day, you know, what we're talking about in terms of losing weight and fitness is calorie in, calorie out. Um, That's the recipe for losing weight. And so if you will make a commitment to exercise more and eat a little less, you'll start losing weight. Now, a few years ago, I want to say maybe about five years ago, I decided just working out alone wasn't cutting it for me that I was going to have to make some pretty drastic diet changes in order to really get back down to the weight I wanted to be. So I made a really strong commitment to myself. I did not follow any one particular diet, but there were certain things about certain diets that appealed to me. And what I decided to do for myself was to simply cut out the greatest calorie culprits in my diet and give myself permission to eat as much as of whatever else I wanted. And so I'm not a person that does well with deprivation diets. My husband does really well with that. I don't. The less I eat, the more I want to eat. Um, but I was able to success- successfully cut out just certain high calorie food groups from my diet. So when I was really seriously ready to lose weight, what I did one day was went cold turkey and I did not eat any dairy products, any wheat products, or any white starches. And I know that sounds really extreme, but to be honest with you, it wasn't that hard for me to say I'm going to eat less wheat or less dairy wouldn't work, but to completely cut those items out of my diet and simultaneously giving myself permission to eat as much as I wanted of any other food group, um, I immediately started losing weight. In the first couple of weeks, I lost about seven pounds. Um, By the end of the first month or two, it's been a while, I can't remember exactly, but I would say after the end of the first month or two, I'd lost, I want to say 10 or 15 pounds. But I took an entire year to lose the 25 pounds that I wanted to lose, and that took me down to uh, my current weight, which is 125 pounds, and I've been able to successfully keep that weight off. I now do eat wheat and dairy, although if I put on a few pounds, I just I can I know at any time I need to I can cut those items out of my diet and immediately lose weight. So that's what I did. I just think it's important for people to exercise more and try to put a put a corral on their diet in some way that works best for you. Now. A number of years ago, I started a little uh, blog called The Five Pound Challenge, and you can go check that out. Every It's just people join up that make a commitment to lose five pounds, and we share ideas. I try to contribute on a regular basis to that blog of just sharing ideas and supporting each other in uh, getting more fit. And um, again, Linda, I applaud you for your efforts. And I do want to say that riding uh, is a very physical sport and core strength is critical. Your balance is critical and your aerobic um, capacity is critical for riding. So I think that um, making a commitment to get in better shape and to lose weight is something that you're not only doing for yourself, what you're doing for your horse as well. So good luck, Linda. I hope you'll join us on the five pound challenge. 
And you can get to that by going to my Facebook page and looking for the groups. And it's called the Five Pound Challenge. So we hope to see you there. Okay, I think we have time for one more question, Megan. Okay, our last question comes from Marvina. She says, I have a question for you. I have a yearling filly that lost her mom last summer. Another one of my mares adopted her to look after her, but not nurse. Now this mare goes into fits when we halter the filly to work with her. She can be aggressive to my husband, not so much to me, but still I keep an eye on her. Any ideas? I love it that she cares about the filly and looks out for her and my herd of seven other horses, but I need to be working with the baby more. Okay, well, it sounds like to me that you need to be working with the mare more. <laughs> so, um, okay, so first of all, as a yearling filly, um, it's great that she had that foster care or substitute mother. Although I, I'd question how necessary that is going forward. So I don't really think at this point the filly has that much to do with it. The problem is with the mare and she has become possessive of this filly. And she is probably going to this this behavior, this aggressive behavior um, or fit throwing behavior is probably going to escalate until you put a stop to it. So, and it's happening because she believes that filly to be a possession of hers, not yours. And so that's kind of, all of that is kind of a problem. So um, first of all, the fact that she thinks these, this horse belongs to her and not you, that's a problem. And I think you need to resolve her of that notion. Uh, obviously, the aggression and the fit throwing is a problem as well. So um, first and foremost is the aggression and, um, you know, no horse is worth a person getting hurt over. So and it's, it's, you know, it's one thing for you to get in a mess with this horse. But if your husband is lesser skilled and maybe this wasn't his whole idea to begin with, I, you know, it, it would really be a shame to see him get hurt or, um, you know, emotionally damaged in some way. So I think this horse needs to, I think you need to address this with the mare in two ways. One is you need to make it clear to this horse that filly is not her possession. I would look at separating them. Um, if you, when you bring that filly out, you can confine that mare or tie that mare up so she can't really run around and act crazy. When I would get her out and start working with her, leave the filly in the stall, get the mare out and put her to work. She needs to learn that there is appropriate behavior and inappropriate behavior when she's being handled. I would address it as a ground manners issue. Um, but I'm just telling you, it's a separate issue that she thinks that filly is a possession of hers. That To resolve her of that notion, you're probably going to have to separate them or... Um, I mean, you know, separate their accommodations so they're not living together or really put a lot of work into this mare. So just as much as you get that filly out to work with her, you're going to have to start getting this mare out to remind her of her training, to remind her of her manners and how to act and to resolve her of this um, fit throwing and this aggressive behavior because that's absolutely unacceptable and it's going to lead to more dangerous behavior. So, um yeah, you know, without getting into a lot of specifics and asking you a lot of specific questions, those are just my my general impressions. You absolutely have a problem and you need to address it sooner rather than later. 
and you need to address it on, you know, pretty much every level you can. So that would be looking at separating those two horses, working with both of the horses and doing some serious remedial training with that mare to make sure she minds her manners and that uh, figure out a way to resolve her of the notion that she owns that filly. So good luck to you, Marvina. I know you'll um, you'll do the hard work that's necessary to get these horses straightened out, and the sooner the better. And by the way, um, you might want to check out um, two resources on my website. One is our library membership, which just gives you access to all of my video, audio, and written training resources, all of its, the content is searchable by keywords. So as you're training this mare and this filly for ground manners and, and everything else, um, you can go to that website, you can go to the library and search uh, any topic you can think of. And you'll get uh, videos and audios and articles about that subject. So that's a great resource for you. Also, since you're not only training this mare, but a young horse as well, you might want to look into my interactive program. And this is actually a training curriculum that uh, is an interactive program where I give you assign training assignments and the, the resources to complete those assignments. And then um, you interact with me back and forth on the completion of those assignments and can ask any questions along the way. So that might be a good resource for you as well. So good luck, Marvina. I'd like to thank you for listening to my podcast today. We covered a lot of information from replacement training to what kind of bits does my horse need, traveling, um, uh, fitness for the rider. So we covered a lot of ground. I hope you got something out of it and you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a question for future podcasts, you can message me on Facebook or you can go to juliegoodnight.com slash podcast and leave your questions there. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you to Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast. They make it possible for you to listen for free. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.